0: This morning, we are continuing our series, Unsung Heroes, Part 2. The last time we were in this series, we were looking at Bezalel and how the first time we see the Holy Spirit come upon someone, it wasn't the typical person we would expect. It wasn't the, the leader. It wasn't the priest. It wasn't someone that we would think of as the big hero. It was the working man. It was the artist. It was Bezalel. And he was given the Spirit that he might make a powerful and beautiful temple to bring honor and glory to god we recognize that we have all been given the spirit even though we may not be the ones that anyone would expect to be given the spirit but god has given it to us and that out of us or that out of us he might build a beautiful and wonderful church our unsung hero this week does not find herself living in a very beautiful time everything is chaos this week we'll be in 2 Kings chapter 11 verses 1 to 3, but before we read our text, we need to set the scene. Elijah, the prophet, has gone up to heaven in the fiery chariot, leaving Elisha to carry on. I always like was confused with those two. You've got Elijah and then Elisha, and often their story, like they they follow right after each other. Like, I can't imagine when they were both together and, like, trying to, like, no, I meant you. I, I do that with my kids all the time, but their names are very different. But with Elijah and Elisha, it's, uh, whatever, anyway, Elisha is left. Elijah is gone, and Elisha is basically carrying on. These are turbulent times for the countries of Israel and Judah. Ahab and Jezebel had been ruling. They had mocked God and brought in the worship of Baal. It was a dark and, and difficult time. Ahab has since been killed in battle, but Jezebel still lives, though she no longer sits on the throne. The kings of Israel and Judah are not following Yahweh, and Elisha receives word from the Lord to put a plan into action. He tells a younger prophet to go and anoint Yehu, the king of Israel. Kind of crazy how that worked back then, right? Someone else could be king, but if a prophet anointed some other fellow with that title, there's instantly like a battle for kingship. Now Elisha had this prophet anoint Yehu in secret, so that word would not get out right away. Only Yehu and his com- who was the commander of armies and his men knew of his secret anointing, but that did not stop him from acting on it. He immediately went on a rampage, calling out and killing King Jehoram, the king of Israel. And in a surprising turn of events, Ahaziah, who was the king of Judah and happened to be visiting King Jehoram at a very unfortunate time. Yehu did not stop with kings, however. It was he who killed the evil queen Jezebel. On Yehu's path of destruction, he completely wiped out the descendants of King Ahab. It was a brutal and terrible time. And this is further emphasized by the actions of King Ahaziah's mother, Athaliah, Remember, her son was killed when he was visiting Yehoram, and that sets the stage for the events of our texts this morning. Again, we'll be reading from 2 Kings chapter 11, verses 1 to 3. If you have your Bibles with you or you would like to follow along on paper and ink, there should be a Bible in the pew in front of you. However, if you prefer, the words will be on the screens. We read the word of the Lord, 2 Kings chapter 11, verses 1 to 3. When Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she proceeded to destroy the whole royal family. But Yehoshaba, the son of King Jehoram and sister of Ahaziah, took Yoash, son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the royal princes who were about to be murdered. She put him and his nurse in a bedroom to hide him from Athaliah, so he was not killed. He remained hidden with his nurse, at the temple of the Lord for six years, while Ahalia ruled, while Athalia ruled the land. Thus ends the reading. Let's pray. And God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. I pray this in your name. Amen. Yehoshaba is not a character that we spend a lot of time on in Sunday school. It's unlikely that many of us have even heard her name other than when we've read through the Bible, but even for those of us that have done that, for how many of us has her name stuck in our minds? And yet, as we see by her actions in our text this morning, she is totally someone worth getting to know a little better. Yehoshabah was a princess of sort. Her brother was the king of Judah, King Ahaziah. But Jehosheba had not taken a political marriage. She was married to a popular priest, Jehoiada. The couple were ardent followers of Yahweh, the, the true God, and yet all around them they saw the corruption of all that Yahweh had taught, all that the one true God represents. Altars to idols, golden calves, and the false god Baal were everywhere in Judah. The people led by their kings and their, led by their kings and their sinful appetites had wandered from the worship of Yahweh and had indulged the pleasures of the flesh. It was not an easy time to follow the old ways, the right ways, the true ways. It was a confusing, difficult and discouraging time to be a believer. And in that, I know we can relate to Jehosheba. for today. It can be a confusing, difficult, and discouraging time to be a believer. This was emphasized for me when I read about the independent report done on the SBC that came out recently. At a recent business meeting, the Southern Baptist Convention voted to have an independent review of how they had handled sexual abuse allegations against pastors within their denomination. The results of that report were just released, and it was real bad. The independent investigation uncovered that the SBC had a situation on its hands similar to the one that the Catholic Church had and has been dealing with. Pastors had been abusing women in their congregations. It was getting covered up and pastors were getting moved to new churches and no one was being told. Charges were not being pressed and victims were being portrayed as the villains. All of this because the SBC leadership didn't want the black eye of sexual deviancy on their record. They thought the mission, and by mission, they meant their good name and how society viewed them was too important. And these reports would do damage to their credibility in the message of the gospel that they were seeking to proclaim. What I find even more discouraging about this is that the executive board of the SBC has voted to shelf the results of the independent study. They aren't going to move against the abusive pastors. They aren't going to seek restoration for the abused women and men that are left in the wake. If they were to recognize the report, they would open themselves up to lawsuits, you see. And they just don't have the time or money to make these cases or take these cases to the courts. And again, what would that do to their mission or, better understood, their public image or power? We're talking about the largest Christian denomination in the United States willingly and knowingly covering up the abuse that happened on their watch so that they might save face and money. The church has been called to repentance, and they have refused to do so because it might look bad and it might cost too much. Whether we like it or not, whether we agree with it or not, this is the church in America that the world often sees. This is the hypocrisy that they can't stomach, and we sit in our pews and we think, well, we aren't part of the SBC, we aren't doing some of those things, and and that prayerfully is true, but it begs the question, what are we doing? We're all sinners, each of us falls in his and her own way. Each of us stumbles, each of us has not been and cannot truly be a perfect Christian, We all have skeletons in our closets. The darkness of the world, the darkness that seeps from our own hearts, has infected and affected each of us. And so the question becomes, what are we doing? In what ways are we failing to be the church that God has called us to be? What are the secret sins that we're worried would damage our public image, and so they need to stay hidden? Church, the many passages of scripture and stories throughout the Bible call us to repentance just as they call us to mission. How are we going to respond? The day that the news of Ahaziah's death came to Judah was a dark one. His mother, Athaliah, upon hearing of her son's death, came up with a terrible plan. She ordered that all of her grandsons, as our text put it, the whole royal family, anyone who could possibly claim the throne over her, be put to the sword. Massacre after massacre. Ahaziah's sister, scholars tend to lean towards her being a half-sister to Ahaziah, and not the biological daughter of the crazy grandma, Athalia, but this brave woman, Yehoshaba, finds out about the plan and decides to take action. She sneaks into the nursery of her nephew, Yoash, kidnapping him and, With the babies nursed in tow, she hides them in a bedroom. Once the coast is cleared and all the royal family believe dead, she takes Yoash and his nurse to her husband, Jehoiada, at the temple. And there, Yoash lives in secret for six years. And this is a brutal six years for the people of Israel and Judah. This is an incredibly dark and discouraging time, not just because the ruler of Judah is a queen evil enough to have her had her grandchildren killed so that she might have the throne, but they believe that the promise of God has been broken. They believe that the evil of the world has overcome God's ability to keep his word. You see, if we back up a few decades, we hit the story of King David. He was far from a perfect man and a perfect king, but that did not stop God from making a promise to him. God promised David that through his family line would come the promised Messiah. Through David's family tree, God would fulfill the promises he had made to his people and the world, for through David's line would come the Savior. We know this promise of God's as the Davidic Covenant. Now David was a king, and so it was his children, his family line, that were the kings of Israel and Judah, as it were. But earlier, we made it pretty clear that these family lines got wiped out. Newly appointed King Yehu wiped out all of Ahab's line. And what I didn't tell you earlier is that King Jehoram killed his brothers so that he might have the throne. And as far as the people of Judah know, Queen Athaliah had wiped out Ahaziah's line, the last of the line of David, gone. Things had looked pretty doubtful up to this point. I mean, many of these kings were not moral men. The worship of false gods and idols was rampant. Many of them had turned from the worship of Yahweh. So things were not looking good to begin with. But now, any Jew, any Hebrew that had any knowledge of the Davidic covenant, which was pretty much all of them, believed that the promise was broken. The covenant would not be kept David's line had ended. There have been periods in my life, in moments of weakness, and in times of great despair, that I have wondered if God keeps his promises. Can I trust that God loves me even when I struggle to love myself? Do I believe that God forgives when what I have done feels unforgivable? Does God truly pour his grace out over me even? when I've sinned knowingly? Does God forgive even when I knew better? Even though I so clearly don't deserve it? Can a failure like me truly be used in God's mission to build his kingdom? Can a sinner like me truly be welcomed into heaven? Do you ever wonder if God will keep his promises? Church, he has not broken one of his promises yet. For though the people could not see how God was working, he was at work. Though the common man and woman felt abandoned by God, felt betrayed by a promise broken, they only felt that way because they did not know how God was at work. They did not know the bravery of Jehoshaphat. They did not know of their infant king and his nurse hidden in a bedroom and then the temple. True from our vantage point, That promise looked pretty shaky. It stood on the edge of a knife, to quote Lord Celebron from the Lord of the Rings. But what may look shaky in our eyes may as well have been carved from stone in the eyes of the Lord. There was never any doubt about God keeping his promise. There was never any doubt in God's mind that the Davidic line would succeed. He had it all under control. God promised us a Savior, and he kept that promise. He sent us Jesus. He sent us his perfect son and Jesus lived among us. He ate with us, talked with us, he taught us. And then one day he was betrayed and he was convicted in a rigged trial. Up a hill he walked with a cross upon his shoulders. And with that cross he carried the weight of the sins of the world. All of my sin, all of your sin, all of the sin of all time was put upon him. And he was nailed to that cross. And as he hung there, the Bible tells us that he became sin for us. The cup of God's wrath over our sin was poured out on Jesus. And there on the cross, the perfect one died for the sins of the world, paying the price that we could not. But he did not stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the grave, defeating sin and death. And when we believe in him, when we trust in him, when we rest in the faith that he has given us, then our sins are not counted against us. The dirty rags of our sinfulness are taken from us, and we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ This is what it means to be a Christian. This is how we are saved. This is how we enter the family of God, not by works, not by what we do, but by faith, by what we believe. This is God's promise to us, and he will not break it. So when you sit in doubt of God actually keeping his promises, remember the unsung hero, Yehoshabah. God would not let the rampaging warlord, the king who murdered his brothers, or the power-mad grandma stop his promises from coming true. He called the princess, and she responded, and she saved the young Joash. God's promise was secure. He does not break his covenants. God does not break his word. And church, God has promised to build his church. He has promised that his church will continue, that the gospel will go forth. And even though we fail as a church sometimes, even though we mess up and we don't look like God wants us to look, that does not mean that he has given up on using broken people, that his promises might be kept. Yehoshua was a sinner just like you and me, and God used her. How is God calling you? Church first, he is calling us to repentance. We do not always perfectly look like the church is supposed to look. Individually, we don't always do what Christians are supposed to do. So first, there's the call to repentance. Let us repent from God and ask his forgiveness for not always being the faithful bride of Christ that we have promised to be. And as we bask in the forgiveness that follows repentance, let us hear the call of God to go forth into the mission field and build his church. God is calling you, broken sinner. He's calling you, fearful princess. He's calling you, nervous priest, to be part of his mission. His mission will go forward. He will keep his promises. Will you, will I, will we answer the call to join him? What a fantastic, gracious, loving, merciful just, and powerful God we serve. Amen.